Come along with me. It's the name of the Adventure Time season finale. Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where we'll be discussing the conclusion of this tremendously impactful and beautiful show. I'm your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn on Twitter, and I have great guests joining me this evening. I'm joined by Oliver Sava, the freelance pop culture writer working for the AV Club, Vulture, and Chicago Reader. Uh, He led the Onion AV Club's Adventure Time coverage, so if you're listening to this and you've been reading about Adventure Time online, you've probably read some of his work. I'm also joined by Jameson Hampton. Uh, Jameson Hampton is a non-binary adventurer from Buffalo, New York, who writes a lot of code and reads a lot of comics. They're a regular contributor to Women Write About Comics, and you can find them online at J-A-M-E-Y. B-A-S-H dot com or on Twitter as J-A-M-E-Y-B-A-S-H. Um, so uh, thank you, Oliver. Uh, thanks for having me. Always and, excited to talk about Adventure Time. Yay, and, and thank, thank you, you Jameson. Jameson. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super Woo-hoo. excited. <laughs> so the podcast hasn't covered Adventure Time, the series, for a number of years. The closest I think we came to it is I had a, an interview with Jesse Moynihan, who's one of the storyboarders, uh, on the podcast five years ago. So uh, we haven't really talked about it for our listeners for quite some time, um, but folks can definitely check out that episode on our iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. You know, this show has been tremendously important to me. And, I, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching Yellow Submarine, the Beatles animated movie, so many times that I can literally recite it to you from beginning to end using voices. And I've always loved cartoons, but this one was just something that just really got you in the guts and feelings and has only really grown over time. I, I'm really envious of kids who get to grow up watching it today. So uh, I wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to really dive into the significance of the finale with some critics who've done really amazing work looking at the show so far. Um, so yeah, I first like to hear folks sort of what was the, what was the sort of emotional response that you had to the show? Another legitimate way to answer that question is how many times have you cried since then or during it? Uh, What what about you, Jamie? I literally on Sunday, but the day before it came out, I was telling my best friend that like it was airing this week and I cried like telling her that it was going to happen. So that was kind of the emotional mindset that I was in even going into it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But... It was a lot of, I would say it was a lot of waterworks. Uh, there was, my favorite character is Simon. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like I was just ready to cry about Simon, like pretty much no matter what happened. There was like no universe that they went into something with Simon that didn't make me feel emotional. <laughs> yeah, for me, like anytime I hear Rebecca Sugar's voice singing anything, I want to cry because it's so beautiful. So I knew that, that 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 Rebecca had done like a new song for the finale, right. and I just said, if I don't cry by that point, I know that that's when I'm going to cry. <laughs> so, what about you, Oliver? Yeah, I actually didn't cry until the very very end uh, when they when they whipped out the island song full version. Um, yeah, I, I I was wondering. I was like, is this going to make me cry or not? Because I am like you, a hardcore crier at the uh, I will remember you episode. Or that's that's what it's called, right? I remember or, you. I remember you. The saddest episode of Adventure Time. That's for so sure. good. I think it's the best episode of Adventure Time. Um, but no, it definitely got me in the final moments when it kind of became a thing about 
just like the experience of watching this show. Uh, I've been writing about it for so long, I think six years maybe, um, that like it, it really made me think about the amount of time I've been writing it, how my life has changed since I've been writing about it. It just kind of sent me on a whole journey at the very end, and uh, I really dug it. One of the things that I've been saying was that um, I think that it is totally makes sense for the show to end now, that this is a point in the narratives where it makes sense for it to conclude in terms of Finn's development as a character and the cast as a whole, uh, so that artistically I was ready for the show to end, but emotionally I was totally not ready for the show to end. But I know intellectually that now is the right time to end. And I think that this was really the perfect ending for the series. I have the smallest of criticisms and so much praise to give it. Um, I, it feels like most people kind of were feeling like this was a reasonable place to end the series, even though we're not ready to say goodbye to our, our favorite characters. Did you guys have thoughts about that, Jamie? I think it was really amazing that they announced... Um, so long ago that this was gonna be the end like we're doing two more seasons and then we're done and I remember hearing that like two years ago and being like oh no but also oh well two more seasons but like the fact that the creative team knew how much time they were gonna have left and were able to like wrap it up at the pace that they felt comfortable with was like a real blessing that a lot of shows don't get to have I mean, I mean, Oliver, as someone who covers the show for the AV Club, I, you know, I've always been mystified by the way the show has been released in ways that make it almost impossible for people to know when it's going to come up or follow it. So, like, I don't know if, do we have any sense if, you know, this is a decision that was coming from the creative team or if, or what kind of precipitated the decision to end at this point? Because I, I haven't really idea. found any answers in my, in my review of the coverage. Uh, I have no idea. I do think that this was something the creative team decided on uh, just because it did happen kind of ahead of time. Uh, I feel like if something's going to get canceled, it's going to get canceled that season. Uh, they're not going to really give them the leeway to uh, go out on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I think that they knew that they wanted the show to end at this point, but the scheduling was so frustrating. It was insanely frustrating. Sometimes you'd get five episodes in a week. Sometimes you'd get four episodes in a night. Um, It was just all over the place. And when they announced that the show would have two more seasons, I didn't know what those season numbers were going to be. Sometimes an Adventure Time season, I think it's season three or four, it's like 50 episodes long. So like, I really didn't know how much time we would have left. I knew that there was this number, uh, this two seasons number, but I, I didn't know what that would end up being in terms of episodes. Um, but I, I do feel like the show is just kind of coming to its end. I feel like it, it's been that way since the Islands miniseries. Mm-hmm. Once, once you answer the, the big mystery about Finn's parentage and uh, figure out that whole story, it just it feels like everything's starting to wrap up. And I think that they wrapped it up really, really well. I really appreciated the conclusions that they were able to give us for so many of the characters. Um, Although I guess I want to jump to talk about the framing structure of the finale itself. You know, it begins with the, the next generation, but not even the next generation, like a generation, many generations in the future's version of Finn and Jake. And it's Shermie and Beth. And just seeing that Beth is clearly the great, 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 great grandchild of, of Lady Raina Corrin and Jake 
is just really comforting, even as a starting point. And, and also for me, just like knowing that in the world of the show, the world continues into the future. I like right now in the real world, we're in a moment where it feels like the president, he's not the freaking president, but like that Trump could literally end the world at any moment in time. And uh, having a show that sort of is like, you know, the world does continue into the future and things are transformed and they're different in ways that are bad and good. Um, but it, there, it does continue that far beyond it is, is sort of an interesting feeling to have. Um, do folks have thoughts about the framing device, Oliver? Oh yeah, I loved it. Once, once I realized what was going on in that beginning, I was super thrilled for the entire episode. Uh, the new opening sequence, which I always love when they do, I believe. I don't know if they did a new opening sequence for the Marceline miniseries, but I know they did for Islands. Um, it's it's always like a fun surprise. I think Fiona and Cake episodes do a different opening too. Yeah. Um, but I definitely did not expect that for the finale either. So uh, it, it establishes really, really early on this th this cycle of kind of destruction and rebirth that is at the core of this show. Uh, just as post-post-apocalyptic fiction, uh, where the, the apocalypse has already happened, people have already survived afterward, now it's kind of the world that grows from the, the wreckage. Uh, and uh, I thought Shermie and Beth were really cute. They were really fun. I would definitely watch a show about Shermie and Beth, but uh, ideally, there wouldn't be a show about them. They'll probably show up in a comic or something. Mm -hmm. But I, I like the way this ended, and there will be continuations, but I love an ending. Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised at Willow Smith's voice acting. I didn't really have any frame of reference for how they would do, and I thought they were excellent, actually. Um, I am always cynical about famous people's children having any talent whatsoever, and I was surprised to find that actually Beth was Willow Smith, because that was really good work. What, what are your thoughts about the framing device and sort of the, the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, post-apocalypticness of the uh, conclusion, uh, Jamie? I think it's really cool that they've made Ooh feel like such a real place because um, there's always stuff going on and there's stuff going on separate from just the stuff we know about. Um, I'm a big Star Wars fan as well and I think it's like that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars and Adventure Time kind of nailed it too. This idea that it's just a whole universe where everyone's doing their own thing. And um, I kind of was getting reflective about how much happened during the 10 seasons of Adventure Time, like in the sense of while Finn was alive, like a person who has a human lifespan, a lot of things happened and a lot of things changed, even for characters that were very old, like Bubblegum and Marceline mm -hmm. have been around forever. And um, now Finn comes along, just this random kid, and um, changes a lot of things. I mean, he's not a random kid. But then I was kind of reflecting on that, and my fiancé, who we, we watched the show together, was like, it's not like stuff wasn't happening before Finn came around. Like, Billy fought the Lich before the series started, which is a great point. And so I like this idea that there's now this kind of timeline of, like, things that happened way before the series started, things that happened not too long before and now things that are happening after. It just makes it feel very real to me. The uh, concluding montage, uh, I, I wasn't necessarily sure that we were gonna get a conclusion montage sort of showing you 
the near future of the main characters from the show. Um, I feel really blessed that they offered that to us. I, I feel like I rewatched that in slow-mo several times. There was a few glimpses from it that were really meaningful to me. I, But um, there's actually something from the Beth and Shermie portion that was huge for me as well, which was just seeing Sweet Pea uh, still walking um, and not looking like the lich at all and kind of looking like the Billy of the future, right? Like he's got the demon sword and he's he seems to sort of be self-possessed and going about his business. Like he, he, he doesn't seem evil, you know what I mean? Totally. He seems like he's another heroic adventurer. And I loved seeing that like he's alive in Beth and Shermie's age. It feels um, like, um, like a heritage of Billy the great hero to Finn to Sweet Pea. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, Oliver, are there future glimpses that were really meaningful for, for you or that you worked? Uh, I mean, I was totally a mess for that entire ending. So I really enjoyed all of it. Um, I love that well, Gunter Ice King ends up marrying Turtle Princess. Oh, Lumpy Space Princess becomes Lumpy Space Queen. Mm-hmm. Queen of Lumpy Space. Um, gosh, it's so stupid. But I love it. Uh, and I guess... We'll go into our uh, a bubbling uh, conversation, but that was also a very little sweet moment uh, with with Baby Peppermint Butler reading his Dark Arts One Hundred and One book. Yes, I was, I was so, so concerned about him, about him and, and I it's a character I really care about, and I didn't. I like the idea that him getting dumbified did not result. It was really not him becoming dumb; it was him becoming young, and that he still had the opportunity to become who he was and not completely lose his identity. So that was really reassuring to see Pet Butt in those, in those moments. Um, I think like the thing that I think is the biggest open question from it is I, I didn't, I should have expected the return of the humans, uh, but I didn't. And the return of the humans really is a symbol, I think of the cycle continuing because now that there's humans on Ooh again, we also know that the world has radically changed since the end of Adventure Time and the future point where the King of Ooh, who is Bimo, is talking to Beth and Shermie. And I have to just wonder, because we don't see any humans in the Beth and Shermie sequence, do the humans come back and just blow themselves up all over again <laughs> and bring the world back to its elemental forces of candy, fire, slime, and ice? Uh, I love the four elements of Adventure Time. That was such a funny episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. I There does seem to be some sort of apocalyptic event that happened in that uh, however many years since Finn and Jake. Uh, we don't know anything about that. I don't think the show wants us to know anything about that, but I do think that something happened. Do you, what, do you, what, what did you make of the return of the humans in general, like as a thematic thing? Oh, I was super into it. I loved Islands. I thought it was so good. The idea of uh, Finn's mom being back there was very, very sweet. Um, it is sort of a very quickly thrown out there plot point, though. It's not, uh, they don't linger on that at all. It's just one quick glimpse that this is something that happens. And I think we can kind of assume that Finn lives out the rest of his life with the humans and then eventually passes away or whatever mm-hmm. unless he becomes some sort of like cosmic entity who knows with this show but um no that 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 worked for me and that that was a very nice button on that storyline where 
the humans are out there. Why are they not on land? There's no reason for them to be isolated. So, and it kind of also played to that major theme of harmony, living together, uh, surviving together. For me, it played to the theme of like family because now it's like Finn gets to live with his mom. And I was thinking about that a lot during that epilogue because like another one that I thought was really touching was Bubblegum sitting with Aunt Lolly because I, I, I wasn't sure like I, Aunt Lolly was going to be a good guy and she was going to fight against, you know, Gold, but was she actually going to, was she, was it a trick or not? And so the idea that they were able to show so succinctly, like it wasn't a trick, like Bubblegum gets to have part of her family back. Um, was really amazing too yeah and they're with her her brother Nettie Mm -hmm. oh my my heart right (laughs) so definitely a huge thing I think for all of us watching the show was having Marceline and Princess Bubblegum uh, kiss on camera on screen in a way that could not be edited out of the show if it is broadcast in China like you can't (laughs) remove that sequence really um, I mean, I guess they'll figure out some way, but people will know it's gone because lots of things won't make any sense. Um, yeah, like what are folks' thoughts about having our like two, you know, queer female identified entities uh, getting to show their love for each other in a way that is undeniable to any viewer and getting to be together for the future? It's just amazing. I'm going to cry on the podcast. It's fine. It's just really amazing to me. Um, to be able to see that and particularly like we've started to see that kind of representation in other shows um i think a lot of people have noted that like rebecca sugar's work on steven universe helped you know kind of pave the way for this to be a thing that cartoon network is allowing to happen um so we're really grateful for to her for that but like adventure time has been on so much longer and there's been such a history of you know that being like a pain point and people getting in trouble people from the cast getting in trouble for talking about it at conventions and stuff and to see it on screen like not only does it make me happy with these characters that I care about but like it makes me really happy to know that like in the ultimately relatively short amount of time that Adventure Time has been on we've already seen this kind of change in the tide of what kind of representation is considered okay for television yeah I I kind of wrote about that a little bit in my uh, recap where the tides or the the cartoon landscape has changed to a point where now it's uh, acceptable to have a same sex romance in a show that is ostensibly for children um although mm, i know a lot of adults that watch adventure time mm-hmm. um but like I, I also was covering legend of Korra um for av club and and that finale kind of th- blew me away because that was something that was so that was even more buried subtext whereas yeah. i think marceline and bubblegum th- they gradually let that rise to the surface especially in these last two seasons where you really felt like there was a, a deeper romantic past between those characters um, versus it being exclusively feeling like a fan shipping thing uh, like Korra and Asami was, where it, it always seemed like a, a distant possibility, but never something that would really happen. 
So when it did happen, it was kind of uh, like groundbreaking, earth shattering. Uh, and, and it didn't feel that way necessarily with Marceline and Bubblegum, which I mean, I think is a good thing. It means that things mm-hmm. have changed. It means that this doesn't have to be the, the be all end all or whatever. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a, a very cute moment and a really nice little surprise in there that I was certainly not expecting them to make that relationship explicit. So I want to sort of dig into some of the imagery and parallels that we see in the show, which is such a, like a heavily symbolic show. There's a few things that I get caught up on. Feel free to not respond to these and just offer up your own. (laughs) Um, Where in the dream sequence, um, everybody, uh, Jake complains that everybody else gets to have their evil doppelganger except for him. And of course he's imagined to germane into existence and germane, so all can be your evil doppelganger. And, you know, at first I thought about that fantasy in terms of like, we've really seen Jake heal his relationship with his older brother through the most recent series. And I think it's really part of his narrative about becoming more mature as like a real adult rather than a fake adult, as it were, you know, he's a grandpa now. But him also assigning Jermaine his role of his evil doppelganger, to me, like also kind of felt a bit like Jake saying, the opposition to me is still the notion of being older. Um, so, you know, he wants to be present with his brother. He loves that he's connecting with him. And I was happy to see the glimpse of Jermaine in the montage later painting his realistic paintings on the ceiling for lemon grab, but that he, but that Jake does still sort of see himself existing, uh, in opposition to maturity. Uh, anyone also have feelings on things that really, uh, resonated from all those complex images? Uh, I have one. Yeah. In the scene where um, Simon and Betty and Finn were all being digested, um, and Simon and Betty were like going through all these past forms, and they're like, "Oh, we're being, we're being reset to our uh, essential forms, and the, even the crown." And Finn didn't change at all, <laughs> and mm. he like he even still was missing his arm. He, he So I like this symbolism that, like, Finn has found his essential form in his everyday life and is living it all the time. I thought that was really kind of beautiful. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought, thought about that. that. I, I, I also loved the moment when, uh, you know, Simon comes out of the, the terrifying glob's mouth and... Crashes Marceline right into Marceline. Says, yeah, Marceline's like, it's good to see you. And he says, it's good to be seen. And just thinking about this, the, you know, the subtext of the Ice King being someone struggling with dementia and people with illness not feeling like people are recognizing them or seeing them for who they, they are. That just really got me. Uh, what about you, Oliver? Uh, so my favorite image of this episode is in that first Marceline and Bubblegum conversation before the war's about to break out, and uh, Marceline is essentially saying, I don't know what the exact lines are, but uh, something like, I've seen war, you don't want to do this, and then it, it smash cuts to uh, like young Marceline standing in front of essentially a burning skyline of all these skyscrapers. She's holding Hambo, she's in silhouette, and uh, you just have this really intense, it's all red and orange, fire, 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 um, and, and like uh, the war that's happening in Ooh is so frivolous and fantastical and silly 
it's cupcakes and lemon drops and all this stuff fighting but then but then you have this glimpse of what a, a real war is and it's just this total destruction it's super terrifying uh, I, f I found that to be a really amazing moment of contrast that also puts into sharp relief kind of where this show is coming from because there is this really really dark foundation to the show uh, about nuclear holocaust essentially and uh, all of these characters are living in the aftermath of that and with that that one little moment really brought brought that theme to the the forefront uh, and it and it kept that kind of as an undercurrent for the rest of the episode hmm. i was reminiscing about um watching like season one when it was first on and how my friends and I were noticing all of the detritus and stuff in the background and being like, do you think that this is like post-apocalyptic earth? And we're like, I think it probably is, but like, I don't think they'll ever like really go into that and like how wrong we were. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that is one of the more political pieces of the, the show in some ways. I, I actually want to just digress quickly to think a little bit about Uncle Gumball's politics. I mean, he's a character who got introduced this most recent season. I know some people have complained about introducing the last minute bad guy, but I think he's a really creative character because you have someone who can take the sort of ingenuity and inventiveness of Princess Bubblegum, but only wants to use it for capitalism, basically. And he's like just going around killing lakes and rivers and he really just shows that, like, the, the, this really toxic side of things. And that's not to say that Princess Bubblegum is completely benign. Like, I saw her cutting off the legs of jelly, of little jelly bean people, you know, for the, in the name of science, too, right? Although that felt like years ago from now. But um, I don't know. I think, like, him representing sort of war and the drive to war and capitalism, I, I think it's an effective character. Do, do people have thoughts about, about him? Yeah, I mean, with Bubblegum... She totally went through a pretty monstrous phase, but I feel like there was a growth to her character and kind of a realization that her tactics were wrong and that she needed to make major changes in order to be a, a good ruler. Um, and I think it's it's very interesting that uh, characters like Gumbald or um, the former King of U, right? The old oh, King yeah. of U, uh, where it's these uh, men that are uh, just like they're they they cannot be moved from the path that they are on. They are totally steadfast, and it's usually a super destructive path for everybody around them. That is solely motivated by their personal greed, uh, selfishness, just wanting to be in charge. And uh, versus a character like Princess Bubblegum, who is. Uh, I think at her core, uh, a benevolent ruler that uh, was misguided saw that she was making mistakes and made the necessary changes to be a better ruler. Hmm. I think Finn used to be like that, and I think Finn has like grown up so much, and to see Finn being the the champion of like talking out your feelings instead of fighting, even to the point of standing up to bubblegum and having her like say to his face, you've gone rogue on me was not what I would have been expecting from Finn like long ago. And so it's really cool to see all of the ways that he's grown as a person. He's learned empathy. He's learned about how 
his actions affect others and how to navigate relationships with others. And um, I think that Finn's like a really good role model. But when I see Finn interacting with Gumballs, it's that's like very stark to me. I loved Finn talking with Fern and Fern saying, I'm tormented and Finn saying, I'm also that sometimes. <laughs> like that particular wording where Finn's like, Finn wouldn't use a word tormented, but he's identifying that feeling was so dead on. I, the whole thing with Evergreen, I, I, I don't really know quite what I, what, I, I mean, everything is sort of hard to pin down in terms of its meaning. But one of the things that came to me is that, you know, the name that they gave for this is sort of green grass wizardy force is evergreen. And ever, like evergreen is, something is evergreen. It's ever present. I, I don't know if that means that evergreen is the evergreen wish to be something bigger or better. Cause that was what that little, you know, green lizard spirit wanted when in that flashback episode, it was sort of like the sorcerer's apprentice trying to get more power for itself. I, I'm not really sure what evergreen necessarily represents, but I'm open to other people telling me your thoughts if you have them. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of tough cause yeah, it is kind of intentionally a bit ambiguous. Um, I just always, saw Fern as this corrupted version of Finn um, and maybe that's just me not spending enough brain power to dissect what that relationship is but uh, yeah very much just a what happens when you take Finn's drive and uh, his kind of excitement for life and then uh, have a malevolent influence uh, push that in a very different direction than uh, Finn's uh, general heroism. But beyond that, I don't really know. I don't know how, and I don't know what the plant imagery is in there. Something about growing. We grow in weird ways. Uh, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jamie has something better for that. I do have some specific thoughts about Fern. They're not quite the same um, as what we're getting at but I think that it's kind of intense that Fern kind of was allowed to die and that was kind of his happy ending Um, which like as much as like I was emotional about some of the stuff that was happening with Fern like I do feel like Fern got a happy ending you know what I mean And it was interesting to me that they did that because I had, I had that concept on my brain already because I really thought that being allowed to die was like the happiest ending that Simon was ever going to be able to have. Um, because particularly because of this like very foreshadowing conversation in, um, the first episode with Simon and Betty where Simon is like, he's been turned back into Simon and he's rushing to help her and death is like, this is your chance, buddy. You know, you take this shot right now and I can help you. Otherwise you have to be ice King until the sun explodes. And that was like a really emotional moment for me, even at the time. And I had been thinking about that moment a lot coming into the finale. And obviously that's not what happened with Simon. You know, Simon gets to like grow old and do all of those things now, but it it actually is kind of what happened with Fern. Um, so I kind of was thinking, I had that on my mind, I guess. And Simon becomes the new Betty, because like we see him talking to, to the Prismo. Prismo and sort of being on a quest to try to find and, and, heal, and heal Betty. 
They have um, switched back and forth a bunch of times. Yeah. Because yeah. they were opposites in the flashbacks, too. Um, I used to... I'm sorry, I really love Simon and Betty. <laughs> I used to think that Betty was, like, a huge badass. I Like, I really liked that about her because I felt like she saw reality as it was and was like, I don't accept it. I'm gonna change it. And I thought that was so amazing. And it is amazing. But now at the end of the series, looking back at, like, the flashbacks of Betty, it makes me feel really sad because she's, like, the biggest character that didn't get a happy ending at all. Mm-hmm. And I feel kind of like Simon ruined her. <laughs> and it makes me... Like, I don't think he did it on purpose, but right. it makes me sad to see, you know, this flashback where he's all deep in thought and she just wants to eat ice cream and then they switch and she's the one who's all worried about harnessing the energy and Simon just wants to let it go and the, so that's the first switch and then it's like they switch back. Wow, that's a really good point. I, I, I was interesting seeing her also get, tra- you know, transposing herself into the giant galb. Um, oh, I have to just read something. Uh, one of my favorite critics who could not join us this evening, um, Richard Jones, uh, had... He, we, we, he and I are big Jack Kirby fans. Um, and uh, he said to me, just when I thought it couldn't get more Jack Kirby, it had them fight Galb. The famous Jack Kirby line about, you know, what should the Fantastic Four do next? Have them fight God. And they had them fight Galb. I was like, oh my God. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, you know, having Betty sort of take over that, that that being is a huge, you know, act that I, I really... We, we, you know, uh, Galb didn't feel like it was a last minute introduction because entities like that have feels like they've always just kind of been around the corner in here anyway. Um, a lot of terrifying mouths in this episode also, like the huge Galb mouth and then they have a Princess Bubblegum and Gumball to have a, like, they like literally fight in the giant candy mouth using toothbrushes. And the, the monster, the, the monster's yeah. mouth that has all the tongues. Yeah. And, and then there's a happy mouth at the end of it with a musical. I was so glad that they went back to the musical. I had a feeling, I, I, if there was one thing I want to give myself credit for, it's I totally knew that the Come Along With Me song was going to be sung by the musical. Because I had just rewatched the musical episode, and I said, "Oh, okay, I see this now." Um, so it was touching to me that yeah. Jake can hear the musical now, but couldn't before. Yes, totally. And that when Finn was inside Galb, the thing he heard was Jake's voice in particular. Oh, let's oh, talk let's about talk the about the song a little bit. Or actually, Oliver, you're about to say something. Jump in. Oh, I mean, I was just gonna kind of toss my opinion about galb in there because i found that to be a really fascinating uh act to twist uh where we think that this is going to be about this mushroom war there's all these pieces that are in play at this point like based on the last couple episodes and then you find out it's kind of betty that really screws it up for everybody as in like this last ditch effort to save simon by uh kind of harnessing the power of like the ultimate force of destruction uh it just it it all played really really well for me in like a very dramatic um i loved like this 
crazy kaiju battle that happens in like the third <laughs> and fourth episodes where it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, I I should have expected this. Like, I think one of my favorite things when I was first starting Adventure Time was the, the feeling of an episode starts in one place and ends in a completely, completely different place. Like, it would always be like, Finn and Jake are eating sandwiches. And then by the end of the episode, it's like, uh, the Candy Kingdom is part of the Underground Railroad or something. Like, it would be some sort of crazy, like, how did we get to this point? Uh, and that the finale kind of did that too, but then it also wrapped it all together in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think, like, the finale song of having them defeat the force of chaos using the force of the force of discord sorry using the force of harmony was like the perfect note really for this yeah i went there with a perfect note for the show <laughs> to go out on um because song has been such a powerful tool in the series i'm so glad we got another rebecca sugar song in there uh, and i think that, that yeah and i think that the way it was used i i wow have you guys seen Yellow Submarine? Because there actually is a bit of that in the end of Yellow Submarine. I hadn't quite thought about that together. You mentioned the Yellow Submarine earlier. It was one of my favorites when I was a kid, too. Oh, my God. Wow. So, yeah, they're using the song to fight back the discord, and it's a transformative force. My literally, like, my only critique of the finale, and the way they had the song come together with it beginning from BMO and BMO, oh, my God, it was so precious I was almost in tears of BMO saying like let me you always try to take such good care of me and protect me uh, you always should protect me and Finn but sometimes we're going to get hurt let me be the papa for once I was like dying so they have BMO begin to sing the song to soothe his baby i.e. Jake and then the other voices come in and sort of stack till it's everyone and it's beautiful and the symbolism works perfectly but because of how it's laid out that way we don't really get to hear or understand the song lyrics so literally, my only critique is something I don't have a solution for, which is that, yes, I agree with how they staged it to have the different voices come in and join together. That's the whole point. But the downside was is we didn't really get to hear the lyrics of the song, and those lyrics do actually matter. Uh, there's a wonderful video of Rebecca Sugar singing it online that you can uh, check out to hear them all. Um, but yeah, what are folks' thoughts about the song? Oliver? Oh, I mean... I mean, I guess I was watching the subtitles, though, so that's why I was like, what do you mean you couldn't tell the lyrics? But I feel like they were legible enough, or not legible, uh, understandable. But, uh, no, I thought that moment was very sweet. Um, Another tying very much into uh, this finale idea of being appreciative for the time that you had together. Uh, and then realizing that things will continue after this time is over. Um, and yeah, it was just a very sweet melody. That's what Rebecca Sugar does. Uh, ha, sugar. Um, <laughs> but like, she just, she, she makes feel good, kind of ukulele, uh, it's sunny, nice music. And it was the perfect thing at that point when everything is so doom and gloom. The treehouse has been destroyed. Uh, it's kind of this, we can't go back from here, um, so what do we do? And we we all join together and we sing and we defeat the big bad guy. It really, it really is the same themes as the uh, Everything Stays song. Like, I really think it's a continuation yeah. of that, which I can't even think about without crying. I know. And I can't, well, like, I can't even listen to Rebecca Sugar sing anything without crying because her voice is so beautiful. It just, like, it just, like, gets me in my heart. But, uh, yeah, what do you think, Jamie? 
I I loved that BMO got to save the world because mm. everyone else just wanted to fight. And like even though we were talking earlier about how like Finn and Jake didn't want to fight this war, but when it came to fight monsters, they were, you know, ready to fight. And I respect that about them, but it would never occur to BMO to fight monsters. And that's what I think is so special about BMO. So I really like that, you know, BMO got, like, their time to to really save everybody in that way. What did you think about the, uh, with B- of BMO's future self and what BMO communicates and experiences? When they said they were going to visit the King of Ooh, I was like, it's BMO! And I was so wow. right. Um, I... One thing I don't understand, and I'm like, I'm still percolating on it, I guess, is like the choice for BMO to get Finn's name wrong. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very meaningful, but I'm not, I'm not sure what it means. <laughs> I have, some, I have thoughts. some thoughts. I mean, I mean, when we look at BMO's uh, home, you know, it's so full of these items of remembrance of the earlier time. And there's this little note on BMO's door that just says, trust no one. I'm just like heartbroken thinking about it. But I feel like in some ways, BMO has found it to be more reliable to identify with objects because BMO on a certain level, you know, like came from a, a plane of, of objects. So he, BMO has these like these things and maybe in this like later advanced state, it's harder for BMO to deal with the unpredictability of these unknowable people and so he remembers the feelings and he remembers what happened but maybe the specifics of the individual aren't the same way that's I don't true know. because he does remember that finn was his best friend even though he doesn't remember his name which is nice maybe he remembers all of the important things about finn and his name's not that important i just figured so much time had passed that naturally some of that memory is going to disappear especially when he is like a little computer guy. Um, and yeah, it just kind of established just, cause we don't know how long uh, passed between like generations yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like for me, I felt like it was at like a thousand years, like a millennium maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's just a really long time. He doesn't remember Finn, he remembers Phil or whatever. Remembers the, he remembers feeling, the feeling, but not specifics. Yeah, I feel like that's, yeah, really, feel like that's really echoed in some of the like themes of like everything stays, everything stays, but it still changes ever so slightly, daily and nightly, in little ways. When everything stays, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Um, oh wow, I didn't write down their name. Darn it. The person who covered the show for Entertainment Weekly spotted something that possibly because I couldn't quite catch the lyrics at once that I didn't get, which was the some of the lyrics from the from the uh, the new song, which is called Time Adventure, were. Um, if there was some amazing force outside of time to take us back where we were and hang each moment up like pictures on a wall inside a billion tiny frames so we could see it all. Ah, they're talking about animation. They're talking about like literally watching the show and the show existing as animation cells. And I just, that just blew me away. Um, And really makes me want to wish I could like own that. (laughs) I want a cell of this. I don't even know if they exist. Um, and that's not the point of it either, but that's how humans are. We want to like grab on to a specific thing to hold and have some permanence to like all of those objects that BMO has been collecting, like Simon's eyeglasses and the decapitated head of Gorb Gob Gob Glob, you know, the 
the, the grob glob glob the four the four named four-faced entity of mars they like turned its head into a, a sky lantern we just like grab things like that there's a whole bunch of cool things in bimo's house oh so much um um so uh wanted to get the folks thoughts also around um like what you know what what do you think about like where this series leaves some of the major characters for you and how do you feel like their stories have been contributed to here like obviously we see a lot of growth and change from princess bubblegum and from marceline that kind of pays that really is shown in here i think it's really interesting that um you know gunther turned into essentially like new ice king and like simon is friends with new ice king I was fascinated by that because I think it would be very easy and natural for Simon to be totally freaked out by that entity. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're like hanging out together, making popcorn is really kind of amazing. I'm very curious about, I think that the comics are going to go into a lot of stuff with, with, uh, with Simon's new life. I think that, um, like you kind of touched on before with the scene where he's with Prismo, like that's going to be, Simon's quest to uh, try to find out about Betty. I would be surprised if uh, that wasn't explored in in comic Just form. Just for folks who don't know, we've been told that the next run of comics is going to be called Adventure Time Season Eleven. Uh, so that I guess that that is maybe something that's going to be. I wasn't sure if the future comics were all going to just sort of not exist in continuity or be in parallel right. stories, but they're calling it Season Eleven. So I guess that means something. Oh. I'm very curious about that comic series because I'm a big uh, Sonny Lou fan. So um, mm. the fact that he's writing it has me very, very intrigued, um, especially because I kind of fell off Adventure Time comics a couple years ago. There were just a lot of them, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was writing about Adventure Time all the time. I didn't really want to spend more time with it. Um, but in terms of... Uh, stories that like I'm interested in learning more about I mean I would love to see stuff about Marceline and Bubblegum about I guess in the vein of the the Korra comic continuations where they're allowed to kind of delve into that romance a little deeper um, because they're not worried about international laws involving what you can show on screen or whatever um and then, I don't know, Lumpy Space Queen. I, I love the princesses in general. Like, I loved that all the princesses were there. Uh, not all of them, because there's mm-hmm. so many of them. But, uh, yeah, I would totally be down for, like, a, a princess-centric uh, Adventure Time miniseries. I don't know. Have you guys ever read uh, Michael DeForge, who is a character and props designer for the show? He did a, like, a Breakfast Princess short story. Like, a really, really, really early issue of Adventure Time. Oh, uh, I love. Michael oh, Michael I love Michael Fulton's work, read. and I haven't read that, and that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a. I want to say that it's a Breakfast Princess story, um, and it's just super weird. I loved all those princesses; they were they were always so funny. I love Maria Bamford as Slime Princess. I think it's like the funniest <laughs> voice. Uh, she just kills me. So, no, I'm, I. I guess I'm curious about uh, what's like what's coming down the line but at the same time like i don't really know when i'm going to read the the comic like i i just don't feel like i need to jump back into this world right away 
Like I, mm-hmm. I kind of want to give it some time to to not have Adventure Time in my life, and then I can go back to it at some point in the future. Jamie, have you been reading Jamie? Have you been reading any of the comics? I've read some of the comics, but I definitely intend to read the new ones. I really think it's really cool that they're intending to kind of continue the main plot in comics form. That was like a comfort for me when I first um, heard about that. And I think I just can't decide how I feel like I know I'm going to read them, but a part of me is like, but you had such a good ending. So I have completely of two minds. I'm going to read them anyway. And I'm, I'm glad to know that it's a, you know, it's a writer who you guys think is, is good. The only Adventure Time comics I read recently were the beginning of the end miniseries. Oh yeah, I read that was, one too. What did you think of it? I loved it. I thought it was really great. I thought so too. And I feel like it really presaged so many of the themes here as well, right? That's totally true. I think it was really interesting what they did with past lives in that comic. Mm-hmm. Um, Shoko is a is a, kind of one of my favorites, and there was actually when you were asking about symbolism, I almost mentioned Shoko because there was a great Do Shoko it. moment in the finale when Finn says, "We've been friends a long time," and Bubblegum sees Shoko standing in front of her just for a minute, and like I knew that Shoko was one of Finn's past lives, but I guess I had just never thought about like, wow, they really have been friends for a long time. For the first several seasons of the show, there was a, there were many great themes and points of meaning in them, but I think that the whole theme about cycles really is something that I think was something that they sort of introduced as a theme most recently in like the last several seasons. I mean, the Marceline Stakes miniseries, which I hold is one of the greatest things to ever air on television, and I could watch it. I could watch it like every week. I, I, it's my, I, th- I think that is my favorite thing. And even though that's not something that can really stand alone, I think that's my favorite thing in Adventure Time. I could just watch that series. Like ultimately, like the conflict between her and the Vampire King is he's saying actually he was willing for he wants things to be changed, he wants things to be different, and she had wanted things to be different too. But by reverting to her earlier version of herself and the sort of struggle about. That whether you can step outside of the cycle or whether you have to continue being a piece of it. And um, that's just, that's really the theme of, of the ending as well here. Yeah, and I think some of the cycles continue and some of them are broken at, mm-hmm. at the end of the show because, like, the big one I think of when you ask about cycles in Adventure Time is uh, the comet. And, mm. But, like, which I think will, you know continue to be a force in the universe forever um but then one of the other big cycles i think is the lich and it appears that that one might be broken forever which is kind of um comforting to know that even when you feel like you're completely beholden to this thing that's bigger than you you know maybe you're not always yeah Oh, and another cycle that you made me just think about is when we have um, the Finn sword, uh, you know, they, Fern says that his dream is he wants to see the tree one last time, and of course he disintegrates before that's possible, uh, that he gets to become the tree house, but the sword is still there, so there's an opportunity for his spirit to come out of the sword again and join with uh, Beth and Shermie and have another life that way. I saw some people online talking about the idea that perhaps Jeremy is um, like a reincarnation of Finn, which I think is possible, but I also think kind of misses the point a little yeah. bit. Um, but it is kind of interesting, if you believe that, to think about Finn's sword being able to communicate with Shermie in the future. <laughs> hmm. 
I hadn't thought too much about who Sherman was per se, um, because yeah, like just seems a new character, and we we're not really drawn in a way to give us a particular sense of being somebody else. Whereas Beth is obviously Beth. I think people are probably gonna like uh, stretch themselves thin trying to make connections that don't really exist. Like, I don't think it's it benefits anyone to try to think of how Shermie fits into Finn's timeline or whatever. Uh, just I find it to be way more valuable that he's just a uh, random creature in the future. What is he like a, a mm-hmm. lemur or something? Uh, no, I think he's, no, I think he's, he's looks like mop. he's made out of a mop. But also a rabbit. But also a rabbit. Okay. Um, he looks. Oh, what is he? He looks like a what's it called? There's a creature on Korra or Avatar. Um, I don't remember, but it looks. It's like a flying little thing that I feel reminded me of what Shermie looked like. Um, but no, it's just this idea that there's always going to be uh, adventures that are looking for. The sort of that thrill that kind of a past age represents. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I prefer that than trying to think of him as a, a reincarnation or anything like that. I mean, I think, I mean, I think Finn being human has always been super important. You know, I mean, one of the big inspirations, obviously, for part of the series is like the, you know, Jack Kirby's Commandy stories the last boy in the world living in a world where everybody else is a talking animal and trying to fight for justice and create peace um i mean i guess yeah i have i have lots of different feelings about the humans coming back uh but yeah i i agree with you on that um i think what's striking striking to me is bubble how how old bubblegum and marceline both are and so you know we've seen them grow a lot in the show but this is really only such a small sliver of what their existences are and have been. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of character arcs, I think Finn had a really great um, evolution, especially where he kind of becomes this main voice of pacifism at the end, whereas early on he's, he's so defined by violence because um, that's what a hero does. They, they fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of learns that uh, what a hero really does is uh, show empathy and try to try to solve problems without anybody getting hurt. Um, and then, I mean, I'm curious about what you guys think about Jake's development as a character. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, his whole thing, I feel, has been very much about not wanting to grow up. Um, he has the pups, but the pups don't really require him to really be much of a father, although... That comes up over and over again, um, where they, they are reliant on him in these weird ways. Um, yeah. But then also his whole demon heritage. Yeah, Jake's an interesting, like, I, I don't necessarily know what kind of an arc he had, but also um, he's a stretchy character. He's, he's malleable, so uh, I don't know if he needs to necessarily have arc. Maybe he's just like a one big circle, an Ouroboros or something. Hmm. I used to think that Adventure Time was all about bad father figures <laughs> because for so long I felt like every single time there's a father figure it was bad. Joshua like Joshua was, was the best one for a long time and Joshua has a lot of flaws, but like Marceline and her dad have so much baggage, Finn and and Martin have so much baggage. Um 
there's so many examples, like almost every every one that can come up. And then you have Jake, and they kind of want to play Jake off as like sometimes a a bad dad, someone who's trying. Um, but Jake the Star Child, like a few episodes before the finale, was like the moment that it hit me that like wow, we really do for the first time in the show have like a great dad because Jake was gonna stay in space to save his his pups and that was he didn't even think about it and that was like a such a mature thing to do that I think it really that was like a big next level Jake character arc thing for me well thank you guys for joining us Um, we're coming on an hour are there are there any last things that you want to share I think we more or less covered it thanks for having Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Oliver, where should check folks out uh, check out your work online? So you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Oliver Sava. And then um, I do have a website, oliversava.com, uh, what, which does need to be updated. But you can find uh, links to most of my writing, including all of my Adventure Time pieces and my regular Adventure Time coverage at AD Club. Jamie? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, Adventure Time's been such an important thing to me for so long. I remember watching the first episode, like, when it originally aired. Um, And so this has been, like, a really kind of momentous thing to me, and it was really awesome to be able to talk about it. You know, it feels sort of like, as queer people in fandom, that when, when when it became clear how brilliant uh Steven Universe was going to be people really just kind of started slagging on Adventure Time and I always felt like you know I wish Adventure Time was more willing to be completely explicitly queer as Steven has been but that they were had different goals and that they weren't trying to do the same thing right. and that, that is fine and um, I hope that people who had sort of stopped following the show realize that there is just something incredibly deep, meaningful, and full of incredibly rich symbolism that is really waiting for them to to dive into it again. Um, so I, I want to thank you guys for joining me. Um, and uh, my, my parting thought is just that uh, I really love the having, you know, the musical singing, the Come Along With Me song, which we know has been present as the background of the series since the start. Because I think about the whole of the ground as being a symbol itself. It's a, it's a, we've seen in the show there all of the strata of Earth where we have old road signs and cars and bones and skeletons and all the different levels of history are under the ground. So the hole in the ground, I think of it as sort of a metaphor that connects to the past, uh, but it opens up to the future. And you could, you know, you could fall down the hole and get lost in history and get buried in the past. Or you can also be the happy music hole who is like singing from its mouth and sharing the story with everyone. So that's my vaguely hippy-dippy feelings about that being the closing of the show. So thank you all for joining us and we'd love to see your thoughts, share them. Um, you can reach me on Twitter, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn is the Twitter account. We're at graphicpolicy.com. I know that we'll be covering the Adventure Time comics when they come up. Um, and, uh, yeah, and thank you all for joining us. Great week. Have a great week.